You're listening to the New Jersey Oprah and Government Transparency Podcast, brought to you by OprahMachine.com, opening up New Jersey government one request at a time. All right. Hey, Gavin. So uh, let's talk a little bit about this week's developments with uh, Oprah Machine. So you want to there's two interesting pushbacks that we've gotten, and you also just want to say in general what's been going on. So go for it. Hi, Gavin. Yeah, well, thanks again for having me, Jeff. Good to, good to be here once again. And uh, we, we definitely have a lot going on with Oprah Machine uh, this spring and summer. There's been quite a bit of activity. Um, this week, we actually just passed the milestone of 1,900 requests that have been processed through our service since its launch in October. And I think that there's definitely a lot to be said about all of the work that we've been putting into this project, you know, both yourself and me. Um, Probably uh, my biggest activity has been working on our education update. Uh, We've been adding in school districts, charter schools, regional school boards, all of these education-focused public entities. Um, They've been added to our database throughout the the week, and uh, we have more on the way. So we're looking at expanding our coverage um, to have as many entities as possible in our database. Um, and there's going to be more to come on that um, as we announce that in the coming weeks. But this week, we, we had two items of particular note um, with some pushback from some public agencies. Before you get into that, I have a question for you. And actually, I should sure. say, just as, as you were saying that, I got a notification that I got a response for one of my requests on Oprah Machine. Um, uh, the, the private schools, the charter schools, they're, they're not subject yeah. to Oprah, I thought. Is that true? Um, it's not entirely clear, um, but I believe since they are public entities, they do have uh, school business administrators. They're responsible for complying with some of the same uh, Department of Education regulations. Um, in my personal opinion, I believe they should be subject to OPRA. Um, I don't have an exact legal answer because I haven't researched the legalities of it quite, quite yet myself. So I think there's only really one way to find out is have some of our users try and uh, make these requests and uh, see what sort of responses they get back. And likely challenge the court. Um, Absolutely. This reminds me of just privatization in general, because not only do, do, you know, when you get rid of government programs such as a public education or public health care, and then you push it into the hands of private industry, not only do they profit, profit off of you, but they can skirt laws such as Oprah machine, potentially? Yes, it's definitely a significant concern, privatization as a whole. Um, And then you even see some of the uh, funny business that happens when when they do these public-private partnerships and and stuff like that. Like, there was just a plan in New Brunswick uh, where they were going to privatize uh, their police dispatchers. And I, I think something like that's especially concerning because... You see on the local level, a lot of municipalities, they will contract with outside law firms, uh, they'll outsource different things, and, you know, even even schools, you know, outsourcing food service uh, in the cafeteria, you know, the big company that does that, Sodexo, there's a lot of, uh, lot of issues with that have been uh, documented. So, you know, it, it definitely is a, is a concern, and, you know, there's a lot going on in the legislature as far as Oprah reform is concerned. And uh, they're doing some things good, some things I'm, I'm not quite crazy about that we can jump into um, in a future conversation. But um, I think 
it has to be a priority to ensure charter schools, any of these privatized entities, um, there's got to be a mechanism for compliance if they are serving some sort of a public purpose. You know, the, the comparison would be with water utilities, for example. You know, as much as MUAs can have their issues, um, it's good because there is accountability. Those financial documents are, are readily available, um, whereas something that's private, like, say, New Jersey American Water or any of these other big companies, there's just not that same level of accountability. And rather than being accountable to the public, they're accountable to private shareholders. And that might not necessarily be a good thing um, for certain industries, such as water and, and healthcare, that are really essential. Right. Okay, so you were saying pushbacks. So two pushbacks. Um, so I'll just say the, the, the headlines, and then you'll get into them. One was sure. you did an OPA request for for the logs of emails, and what we what you mean by logs is not the body of the email, not the attachments, just the list of and just a list of name, subject, uh, date, uh, recipient. Uh, I said name, so it would be recipient, all recipients, and the sender. And it was only for a two-week period, and they came back with you with something pretty unbelievable. And then the other one was uh, Charlie Cradiville, who just announced his candidacy for mayor of New Brunswick. He's a journalist up up in New Brunswick. Uh, he got pushed back from an entity because they simply said, uh, "We don't accept we don't accept requests from Oprah Machine, even though." From their point of view, they come in in exactly the same format, which is just simply text and an email. So go ahead and describe both of those situations, please. Yes. So for for the first instance, just to clarify, it wasn't actually me that filed that OPA request for the email logs. Um, That was actually filed by uh, one of our most uh, prolific users of OPA machine, uh, Jen Jen Alexander, um, oh. she went ahead and uh, she, she asked for about two weeks of email logs for the Middlesex County prosecutor himself, Andrew Carey. Um, and a lot of Charlie's reporting has really uh, shed some light on, on both Mr. Carey and uh, there was even some, some ethics issues as far as a lack of uh, information on his financial disclosure form. Oh, um, I didn't realize you know, it's a connection. I didn't realize that that was it, the same it, one that was after. Yeah, he's been heavily, yeah. heavily after this guy. Absolutely, and and for good reason too. Because if you look at um, if you look at the Middlesex County Prosecutor's Office and their history with Oprah, um, they they actually just had another case in March, and an appeals court. Um, this is according to an article I read on on mycentraljersey.com. Um, an appeals court ordered the Middlesex County Prosecutor's Office to pay $20,000 in legal fees for an Oprah case that they lost over a 911 audio tape. So this is an office that, you know, they have a troubled history with complying with Oprah um, for whatever reason that might be. And uh, I just think it's outrageous, their response to, to this particular request, because email logs, there would be no reason to search the full bodies of emails and have all that time to redact when it's simply metadata. It's who emailed who about what, when, you know, and we can piece together some information from those email logs and maybe that might be something that would necessitate a follow-up request that can be narrowed down right. for, for specific right. emails. But right. I well, just I, think I, it's, yeah. 
just to make it even clearer that the purpose of requesting these logs, these just simply these these lines of name, date, names, uh, recipient, sender, recipient, date, subject, and uh, it, these are supposed to be simple to get, especially just two weeks. And but the purpose is is that you can look at these emails and then you can say, oh, I want this one and this one and this one. And then you specifically request just those to get the body and the attachments and so on to make to be able to narrow this down uh, much more cleanly. And this also relates to I believe that this precedent to get this information was recently set by John Path in a Supreme Court case. I believe that he won saying that metadata data about the data, meaning the subject line, the, the headers of the emails is in itself uh, a public document and therefore subject to Oprah. Yes, the, the the actual language that they came down with from the New Jersey Supreme Court in Pat versus Galloway Township in 2017 was quote fields of digital data. So you know, in some of the requests I've been doing, I'm going to try to extend this to other types of data. But in my case against the Attorney General's office, what they tried to do is they tried to completely step around that case and pretend that that Supreme Court holding never took place in 2017 and try to go back to some old case law from 2004 um, saying that this digital data was not public. And, you know, Judge, Judge Jacobson thankfully saw right through that argument, and I ultimately was able to, to get the logs in my case. But in this instance, um, you know, this is just two weeks of email logs that, that Jane was looking for. Um, and the great thing about requesting email logs that I just wanted to add is that, you, you know, before it was clear that you could request this, um, it used to be where you would have to come up with, you know, the sender and recipient yourself and basically take a shot in the dark with each OPA request. If you're able to get the logs first and then follow up for more specifics, um, I think ultimately, I think it saves time for records custodians because they don't have to keep playing around entering in different keywords um, in the dark like that and also makes it a lot easier and more transparent for people that are actually you know, making the request themselves because the logs oftentimes uh, might be more useful than just, just taking a shot in the dark like that. And actually, so am I correct that this $1,000 fee is in direct violation of the precedent set by John Path? Well, it's, it, as far as a special service fee goes, the actual law, um, the New Jersey Government Records Council has set up what is called a 14-point analysis for any uh, OPRA fee that is going to be charged that's a special service charge. That would be beyond um, if they were to charge for a paper copy. And uh, I'll just go through some of the, the criteria on the list. So this is a 14-point analysis. Um, if, if this were to be challenged, this is what a judge or the court would, would basically go through this checklist and uh, see what what um, what they could check off in favor and what they could check off and not. But you know, my gut feeling, because my very first Oprah case against the Lacey Township Board of Education was challenging one of these fees that was levied. Um, oh, I feel like dollar, a, the eight dollar thing that took like two years or something. Yeah, exactly. I feel like you know, on its face, you know, just using common sense two weeks of email logs and then to try to say they need all these hours and all of this personnel to redact, 
Um, and given the fact that this office has already been on the losing side of these previous Oprah cases where they've been paying out legal fees, um, my gut feeling is that if this were to be a case that was challenged, I think uh, the requester would definitely have a strong argument against this fee. Now, just for the benefit of everybody listening, um, I'm just going to run through some of the stuff on this list. So the first question they ask is, what are the records that are requested? We already know. It's the email logs. Then number two on this checklist, a general nature and description of the number of records requested. So it only covers two weeks. What is the period of time over which they extend? So that's kind of almost a repeat of number two. Are the records sought archived or in storage? No, they're not because they have, uh, they probably use Microsoft Outlook or Exchange for email, like, you know, almost every other major uh, government or enterprise organization. Um, and then they say, what is the size of the agency, the number of employees available to handle it? What extent do they have to be redacted? Um, what is the level of personnel? And, and it always has to be the lowest capable person that's able to, to handle it that they can charge. Um, hourly rates, blah, blah, blah. And then people that can accommodate it. What's the availability of information? So it's this detailed 14-point fee analysis, and we can even link to this so people can see it. Um, and this is basically what's going to have to be uh, done by, uh, you know, most likely a superior court judge because the GRC um, is just, it's broken right now. It's, when it takes two years to get to the adjudication of a case versus two or three months in superior court, um, superior court is definitely the best way of challenging any Oprah denial um, at this juncture until the legislature, you know, maybe takes more action to rework the GRC to make it a little more effective. But um, I think, you know, when we, we just look at this with common sense, two weeks of logs that they could easily print out from their database, um, I think the, it's a bit of a stretch to want to charge uh, almost $1,200 for that. Um, I think it's absurd. Um, I don't know if there are plans to uh, challenge this fee, but uh, my gut feeling would be that uh, a, a complaint would likely be successful. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking as a uh, uh, as a you know a sinister person who runs one of these governmental bodies, like hmm, is that is that information in stores or archives? Okay, I'd be like, hmm, okay. So as soon as emails come in, we have to immediately store and archive them so that they're not you know just like trying to think of ways to get around this. Um, it's really hard for me to see how this thousand dollar fee is not an effort to hide something. Absolutely. It's hard, for me, it's hard for me to see what ethical, reasonable reasons are behind this fee. Yeah, especially because, you know, on one hand, if she was asking for the actual bodies of certain emails, then, yeah, they could justifiably withhold or redact some stuff if it's, if it's like, pertaining to an active criminal investigation um, or, or something along that vein. But this is completely different. This is just metadata, digital data that shows who's emailing about what, when. And you're not going to compromise an investigation by knowing the subject line uh, of an email. And I, I think you're right. I think on one hand, could it be an effort to keep something politically damaging or inconvenient um, out of the public eye? Sure. You know, we, we've seen that plenty of times, uh, even on Oprah Machine, in response to, to certain requests. Um, 
on the other hand, it could also be, you know, this, this might be even worse than them just trying to hide something in one instance. Maybe this speaks to the culture of the Middlesex County Prosecutor's Office, and maybe it speaks to the tone that is being set by the leadership as far as, you know, you know transparency. Maybe they don't value transparency as an organization, and they don't respect the obligation that they have to the public to comply with OPRA. You know, you would think a prosecutor's office that prosecutes people for, for not violating, uh, you know, for, vi- excuse me, for violating the law, you would think they would take great care to not want to violate the law themselves, but their history with Oprah cases definitely proves otherwise. Right. The GRC versus the courts. Is there a specific set of rules that decides whether or not it goes to the courts or the GRC? Are there, do they each have their own purpose or is it just like an arbitrary choice on the part of the requester of where to go. Yeah, it really is. It really is the choice of the requester for the most part. Um, if you want to sue in Superior Court, you've got 45 days, um, and that's that's kind of the, the stricter timeline for getting into Superior Court. Um, you can really do whatever you want either way. Uh, the GRC is definitely if you're if you are not represented by an attorney and you're just going to do it pro se you're probably better off at, at the GRC so you don't have to get into the technicalities and expenses of court filing fees because you won't, if you're representing yourself pro se, you won't be able to get attorney's fees or anything like that back. Um, and that's definitely really? one way. Yeah, that's definitely one way that I have, you know, because if you don't have an attorney, there's no attorney's fees. Well, you're um, the attorney. But, the attorney by definition is the attorney. You still have your own costs. Yeah, but you, you, it doesn't work that way with your pro se. You, you just won't oh, get anything. Um, that's hard. Uh, yeah, so so the thing is, that's why the, the two GRC complaints that I did pro se, um, that I was both notorious on, um, it didn't take me too much time to do. It was just, you know, I did the initial complaint, then I heard back, you know, and I had to do some certifications, and I, I got their answer, and then just waiting for them to hold a meeting and, and vote on it and adjudicate it. Um, so... I would definitely recommend to people if you're really serious about challenging something and you don't want to wait two years, Superior Court is the place to take it. You know, we have a lot of a lot of great Oprah attorneys in the state. You know, like C.J. Griffin and Walter uh, Wurz. You know, so one of them would probably be the the people to contact to to get something moving. And uh, you know, I think ideally what has to happen is the legislature needs to rework the GRC into something that's more modernized and give it a little bit more teeth, um, especially in terms of the ability to find uh, custodians that are not uh, complying with the law. I think there really needs to be more uh, more of an incentive for these agencies to comply, because realistically, if we were one of these shady government agencies, it would be like, who cares, you know, oh, we're going to get sued? Yeah, you know, the insurance money on the GIF will cover the settlement and uh, You know, we already have our attorneys paid for, so there has to be more uh, of a a counterweight, if you will, to, uh, you know, get get some real compliance from these agencies. And it's a shame because, you know, I I will say there are a a decent amount of clerks and custodians who really do care and who are um, compliant with the law. And uh, it's it's government agencies that play games like this that give everybody else a bad name, and it's really unfortunate. Yeah, it's actually yeah. I can think of an experience where custodians are doing their job, but they're being told 
they have pressure. I can I can just sense this is just my speculation that they have pressure yeah. to not do their job, and they're put in a really terrible position. Um, Absolutely. I uh, I am very happy to say that I'm going to be interviewing CJ next month, so I'm looking forward to that. I want to go through all of her, uh, um, you know, her victories over the and a couple of losses over the past like year or so, which I think is going to be really interesting. Um, and uh, this going with an attorney to the courts is essentially free as long as the as long as the attorney is confident that it's a solid case there's really no deficit to going that route and that's probably one of the best things about the current version of Oprah that attorney fee shifting that has enabled it opened the doors of the courthouse to people that ordinarily wouldn't be able to sink in all of the money and attorney's fees uh, in order to do that. And I think, you know, for all of the shortcomings of Oprah currently, I think that is probably one of the best things that, that the legislature got right because these attorney fee shifting provisions, um, they really have enabled a lot of this litigation to take place that otherwise wouldn't have been filed. Hal, uh, just, okay, so last question about this, and then let's go into Charlie and close this out, which is, do you know roughly how long the fee shifting law has been around? Um, I couldn't give you an accurate uh, timeline on that, but I would believe that once Oprah was put on the books around 2001, after it replaced the original right to know law, I think that's where a lot of that came came into place. But uh, I, I don't have a, a 100% authoritative answer on that. Okay. Yeah, I agree. Okay. That's that's um, that is probably one of the most important things that really puts teeth into this. Um, Certainly. Charlie. So the other the other pushback that we've gotten. Yeah, so so this was actually something I, I was expecting this whole uh issue to turn into, you know, another another battle like how we're currently fighting back and forth with some of these towns um to get them to take the requests. Um the issue was, you know, Charlie Charlie uh made use of our, our batch request feature on Open Machine to get the elected official salaries and benefits for pretty much almost all Middlesex County. And uh, he came up with a really, really well-worded request. Yeah, so he went to all the, uh, almost all the towns in, in uh, Middlesex and uh, asked for compensation details and reimbursements for elected officials for various things. And he, he definitely turned some interesting stuff up. And uh, when he got to the town of South Plainfield, um, you know, and this is such a challenge. So the, the way Open Machine works, for anyone not familiar, is we use um, emails that are generated from a unique email address on our server, and that allows the request to automatically be published and tracked and all those good things. And uh, the biggest challenge that we face is email servers can be configured 50 million different ways, and if they have an overzealous spam filter or something like that, even though we use all the industry standard uh, email uh, capabilities such as DKIM and SPS and all those good things, um, for whatever reason, they, they did not receive the email request. And, and the clerk was under the impression that the requests are only being put online through our site and they're not being sent directly to the municipality. So that, you know, with that misunderstanding in mind, she responded back to Charlie saying that uh, requests submitted to third-party services such as Open Machine are not valid under the law, uh, yada, yada, yada. 
And I, I was very concerned when I saw this response because um, it, it definitely, you know, I was under the impression that, that they did receive the email and that they were just trying to arbitrarily uh, deny it. So what I did is I reached out to the clerk directly um, to try and, and clarify some of these points. And uh, to her credit, she was nothing but professional um, and receptive to uh, our points. And she, she said she would be checking out the site and uh, even gave us a fax number if the email system uh, wasn't going through. So, you know, I, like I said, you know, I, I always like when we're able to work collaboratively uh, with these agencies. And uh, it definitely turned out a lot better than I was expecting it to. But we still, she, he still hasn't gotten the information, I believe. So this is a hopeful step, but we still have to, you know, go through the next, you know, to see if it actually comes to fruition. But yes, yes, we got yeah. a good response. Yeah, we're still waiting. We're still waiting. Because what, what happened was he originally submitted the request in May. He sent them a direct follow-up to, to make sure that they were receiving it. And that's when this whole uh, response initially took place. And, uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's still within the seven business days or so since then. So uh, we'll definitely be checking back um, as far as the results he gets. But so far, it looks like he's been able to get a decent amount of information uh, from these municipalities relative to elected official compensation. I think this is something that really – uh, really makes the batch request uh, functionality shine. Um, even, you know, some of the batch requests you and I have done, um, I think it's definitely probably my favorite feature of the site because this is the best way of really doing uh, comparative research across uh, towns, counties, municipalities, what have you. Um, and that comparative research, I think, is really essential, especially when we look at, um, as journalists, how we can convey trends and information about large areas to people in a succinct way. Um, I think this is really something that's going to be able to drive um, a lot of engaging uh, stories in the coming months. Right. Um, okay. So I wanted to clarify, uh, not clarify, just add on to what you had said of how Upper Machine works, just to make this extra clear. So each request sure. is given, each request is given an ID. So like one, two, three, four, five. And then for that request, when it sends out the email, part of the email address is opermachine-12345 at opermachine.com or whatever it is, or request yeah. ha, request-12345 at opermachine.com. So that's how that's how to the requester it looks like a normal email, but to Oprah Machine that when it receives that email, that how that's how it knows how to coordinate incoming emails to specific requests. Um, yeah. This, I just did my first batch, uh, my first batch request, and it is a remarkable feature. Um, and in my opinion, this is the kind of thing that people would put out money for. I know I would. I mean, this is the kind of thing that's worth money to be able to to send a request to. I mean, conceivably, you don't want to abuse the system, but conceivably, you could send this to a hundred different places at once, and that's that's a remarkable power. That I don't, you know, certainly the original people, the the legislators that created the bill of Oprah did not anticipate. Like this, this ratchets up the power of the people um, remarkably. Um, it's definitely a force multiplier. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's it's really incredible. The only added pressure that it puts on the requester is that you really want to get it right because you don't want to send out the wrong thing and then have to clarify. To every single one of those, you know, you want to get it right the first time, but yeah, it's a remarkable power. 
to give the people. Um, yeah, so I I did a re- I did my first batch request. Um, as a, as a quick aside, I actually just got my first elected position, which is as a Democratic County Committeeman. I did my own write-in campaign. I got six votes. That's excellent. Congratulations. Thank thank you. It's thank you. Um, so I'm a Bernie guy. So I'm I'm really interested to see how it's gonna you know going to be me going into the Democratic Party, but. Um, I just found out for sure just yesterday I got my open request from the county just asking for my specific ward of the results, and I confirmed that I got six votes. Uh, no other man got a vote. My wife got one vote. Another woman got one vote, so they got canceled each other out. My wife didn't want it anyway. Um, but I, I sent a request that, that some there, – there are a number of people around the state, including a significant number of progressives – like myself, Bernie Sanders supporters, essentially, that did write-in campaigns to get onto committee, and some were on the ballot, but some write-in campaigns, and some people are getting pushed back from the party. So I, I, I did a request to all the counties, all 21 counties, to ask for all the results, all the write-in results, all uh, how many votes they got, the names. The problem is, is that when they got, I, I've gotten results from a number of counties. I just got one uh, a notification of one near the beginning of our conversation, just to, just now. And these results, they give you uh, the vote counts, but it has write-in instead of the name. So they give you what they say is complete information, but no way to actually determine who that person is. So I'm fighting through that now. But the point that I wanted to make, the point that I wanted to make regarding sort of Oprah machine and just Oprah is that I actually sent the request to 20 counties because the 21st county refuses electronic requests. Actually, I should clarify that. They refuse email requests. They refuse fax requests. So Oprah Machine can do nothing with this system, with this county, say county. They require you to use their online system, their own personal online system to do Oprah requests. So you have to go into there. You actually have to create an account. Then you have to do an Oprah request. And when I tried to create an account, it wouldn't let me create an account. It failed, like something, some bug, something. So, uh, yeah, and I think this is a huge problem, and this is definitely something that we are going to be addressing, um, you know, potentially through litigation and other avenues, because the I, I think there are some real inconsistencies uh, in the current Oprah case law, because right now, on the books, as far as the statute goes, you know, you can't be required to fill out their own paper form. So I, I think that logic should be extended to digital requests. If they can't re- require you to use their own proprietary paper form, then why should a digital version of that be allowed to stand? And I think it's gonna—it's just gonna have to be something that's that's litigated uh, because it all hinges on whether they're quote unreasonably denying access by by refusing the emailed and, and fax stuff. And then we're even working, you know. We're also working on deploying an email to fax gateway server for Oprah Machine. So eventually, you know, when I have it set up, we'll eventually be able to transparently fax request to some of these problematic towns. But, you know, the, the, I think the, the moral of the story between this, between the special service fee for that request and even the stuff with Charlie is this is never something that is standing still and static. The fight for transparency and accountability is always going to be a moving target, and that's why it's so important to uh, have citizens be vigilant and really pay attention to a lot of these developments in Trenton. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah, this is really interesting stuff. 
So uh, we'll we'll talk again. And uh, thanks for doing what you're doing. This is great, and I'm glad to be a small part of it. And uh, we'll see where it goes. All right. Thanks again for having me, Jeff. And uh, we'll definitely have a lot more to talk about in the future. All right. See you again. All right.